Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. We'll be right back to today's show, but before we do, I want to let you know that you can get a free copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma, when you leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, either on desktop or on your phone. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, look up Think Unbroken, click follow in the top right, and then go and leave a review at the bottom. And when you leave that review, screenshot it and send it over to book.thinkunbroken.com where you can upload your contact and mailing information, and we will send you a free copy of this award-winning, best-selling book, absolutely free, including shipping. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to upload your screenshot review from Apple Podcasts for the Think Unbroken podcast. And until next time, my friend, be unbroken. I'll see you. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Do you ever feel like your body 
is an autopilot and that your brain is 10,000 miles away. I have definitely been there. I've been there so dissociated, so disconnected from my body that at times it was like I was watching myself. You ever had this feeling, this experience where it's like you're going through the motions, you're doing something and you feel like you're looking at your body physically move through the world because your brain is so disconnected and you ask yourself, what is going on? How did I get here? What is happening in my life? Where is my body? And why is it doing these things? It becomes so autonomic sometimes. We have all this trauma stored inside of us. We don't know that it's there. It's exploding. It's needing to escape. It's needing to be healed and reconciled. It's needing all the things that we need as human beings to cope. And in today's episode, one that I've been very excited to share with you is with Irene Lyon, who is a nervous system specialist and somatic neuroplasticity expert. If you know anything about the human body, it is that we are entirely regulated by our nervous system. And for many people who have gone through traumatic experiences, our body tends to go into the sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight, and it can stay there. It can get trapped there. It can be in a place where for the rest of your life, your body is aching for love, care, support, touch, growth, happiness, all of those things. But we often don't know how to get into that because of the pain, because of the suffering, because of the experiences that we've been through. And one of the really unfortunate things about getting trapped in the parasymp or excuse me, getting trapped in the sympathetic nervous system, which we will talk about today with, with Irene, is that getting unstuck from it generally requires a lot of work, a lot of effort. And that's true of my story. You know, I remember when I when I began this journey and I was on my yoga mat very early on. I couldn't tell the spatial awareness of my body on that mat. I had no idea where I was. I was so dysregulated. My nervous system was so insane because of the unresolved traumatic stress that I was like, what is happening? Where, where am I right now? What is this feeling, these thoughts, these emotions, these physical responses that I'm having? And over time, I learned like trauma is really almost a cellular thing. Like it is in our body, not only from the events of our childhood, but it's even in utero. It's in when we are being birthed. It is in our DNA. It goes back generation after generation. We are exposed to the continuation of all of the things that have ever happened in our lineage. And so what do you do about that? What happens when you are constantly in fight or flight, when you need to get back into connection with your body? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today with Irene. We're talking about what does it look like to take a somatic approach to calming your nervous system, to regaining your health, to being able to live freely with inside the body that you have despite the traumatic experience, despite the pain, despite the cut scars and bruises. And this is an episode, if you feel any part of your body trapped, stuck, can't move, can't breathe, can't think straight, you are going to want to pay attention to this episode. And you may even want to grab a pen and a piece of paper and, and study this because Irene has some amazing credentials. She's worked with people like Dr. Peter Levine. She's worked with Mosi Fadenkosh. She's got a bachelor's in applied science and a master's in research in biomedical and health science. Like if anyone, like I'll say this really, I mean this. If anyone who has ever been on this show knows exactly what they're talking about from a scientific and research perspective, and you know some of the guests that we have had, I'm going to put Irene at the top. Her experience is profound. Her own journey is unbelievable. Like the path that she went through to discover that she actually had to do this same thing that we're about to talk about in terms of healing her body for herself and now serves other people through her experiences is mind boggling. Like you're not even going to believe the story is so crazy. I didn't believe it. I was sitting there like, what? 
And then she went deeper and I was like, what? And she went deeper and I was like, what? And so I'm very, very excited to share this one with you. Irene's an amazing human being. You can learn more of her at IreneLyon.com. And of course, we'll put all of the links that you need in the show notes at Think unbrokenpodcast.com. Please leave us a review. Go to Apple, iTunes, Apple Podcast, YouTube, or Spotify. Look up Think Unbroken Podcast and leave a review because every single time that you do, you're helping someone else on their healing journey. And your decision to leave a review could be the very review that somebody needed to create change in their life. My friends, without further ado, here is Irene Lyon. You're listening to the Think Unbroken podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Unbroken. I'm an author, speaker, coach, and advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma and abuse. In this podcast, you will learn how to transform your trauma into triumph, turn breakdowns into breakthroughs, and go from victim to being the hero of your own story. You can learn more at thinkunbrokenpodcast.com, and of course, check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at Think Unbroken Podcast. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Welcome to another episode of the Michael Unbroken Podcast, where I am here with my dear friend, Irene Lyon. Irene, how are you today? I'm good, Michael. I'm good. I'm, I was sleepier this morning, but I'm getting a little more energized, and the interaction is always good. So, very yeah, well. totally. It's funny to me how often human connection kind of energizes us. Well, also at the same time, it, I'm like, as a introverted extrovert, I'm like, get away from me, people. I don't have, <laughs> I just need I to be by myself right now. Yeah. I like my hermit time too. Yeah, totally. So you, you're in a very interesting field and, and I think it's extremely relative to what I do as a, a coach for adult survivors of childhood trauma and for people who really need to have a baseline understanding of the fundamentals of what it is to be a human being. Yeah. Myself coming from public schools and growing up in the inner city, let me tell you, I did not receive this education until I chose to do so on my own very, very much later in life. Yeah. And, and that is understanding the human body from uh, this level of looking at it as its inner workings and its systems. Um, you have a, a master's degree in biomedical. Um, first and foremost, that's incredible. Um, I let's pretend here for a moment. I have no idea what that means because <laughs> I don't. And 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 share this journey. How do you get to this place where you are studying and understanding the the human connection with itself? Yeah. yeah. You know. Where does that come from? Yeah, well, it's funny. The the, the title bio, Masters of Research in Biomedical and Health Science, it sounds really like fancy. But what that is, and I'll, I'll give you that, is I my first uh, love was exercise science. So I studied exercise physiology, exercise rehabilitation, all of the inner workings of the human system, you know, biochemistry, pathophysiology. I, I should have in some ways gone and become a doctor, but I'm glad I didn't because that would have been an easier route in some strange way. But I didn't. Um, and I got really interested in um, human performance, health, wellness. And I actually was really interested in um, omega-3 fatty acids, which is a very random thing to get interested in. But I was in my early 20s. And that led me to a university in Australia uh, just south of Sydney, called uh, a town called Wollongong, which is a seaside town. It's a big university city and steelworks city. And so I got there to do what I thought was going to be omega-3 fatty acid research, looking at inflammation in the body. And that project didn't work out. Long story short, the professor wasn't the nicest man. I didn't fit with them, him and his team. And um, I dropped it. And then luckily another professor picked, you know, scooped me up and he's like, well, you've flown all this way. You've paid your money to be here. I have this other study within the health sciences. Um, would you like it? And so I kind of had to say, OK, I'm here. I do want to get a master's degree. So I did that. And I did an intervention study with older adults, um, like 65 to 85 years old putting them through very intensive strength training, like lifting and pushing really heavy weight. Um, over 12 weeks, we fed them two different diets. And so that study was within the biomedical health science nutrition wing of the university. 
And so I like did the full on intervention study with these humans. Um, it was one of the hardest and best rewarding things I've ever done in my life, working with these people and really just exploring what the academic world is. Um, I didn't love the academic world, to be honest, Michael. So I, I saw the behind the scenes that kind of make you, when you see it, not quite, not totally believe everything you see when it comes to science. Um, and so that, that chapter finished. Um, I wrote my dissertation. I passed. Um, funnily enough, the people um, reading my research said that it could have been a PhD, except I was missing one study, which really sucked. So, you know, I, I, I kind of kicked myself for not knowing that. And I just should have, you know, done another year and I would have been a PhD, but say lebby. So that was how I got into that world. At the time, I was recovering from a pretty nasty uh, series of knee injuries. And um, I was a ski racer growing up, a figure skater, very hardcore outdoor athlete. And I had destroyed my knees just from being crazy and loving adrenaline. That was my trauma patterns playing out in the world. And um, I was in recovery and rehab, physical rehab. But everything I had learned in my first undergraduate degree wasn't helping my own body. And so while I was doing my master's, I was also recovering from this injury. So there was, these things were happening at the same time. And I, I was unsure what to do. I was seeing a physical therapist, a massage therapist, a chiropractor. I was stretching, doing all the right exercises. And I was still in a lot of physical pain. Um, I looked good and I was put together. I had broken my kneecap. That was the big injury. Um, but something wasn't right. And that is what led me down the rabbit hole to where you and I are sitting here talking about this stuff of the nervous system and neuroplasticity. Yeah, that that's fascinating to me in so many levels because I, I myself find myself like very interested in understanding the the precursor of that. Um, you know, omega fatty acids have and vitamin D oils have yep. and things like this, especially on long-term um, memory, uh, yep. the body, the nerve, the nervous systems, all of these things, recognizing the body being depleted of that for years and years and years mm -hmm. through youth. And then looking at the, you know, the fact that I've had probably seven to 10 concussions um, growing up playing sports and, and recognizing like, that is the key to longevity and some some aspects. So mm -hmm. one, and we could have a whole tangent on that. Oh, I'm no. I've read white papers where I'm like, I don't know what this means, but I'm starting to get there. And like you, yeah. you said, and you go through the the yeah. publications. And, but but more importantly, you know, you said something really interesting. Like you were noticing your your trauma patterns start to be in this thing of like pushing yourself. Mm -hmm. Like ultimately, I I understand that because I've been in that scenario myself, which led me down this into this place where. It was probably, I don't know if I want to call it proxy or serendipity that yeah. led me into having to force myself how to learn to take care of my body with trauma. And you mentioned that's kind of how our paths are here colliding. What was that experience for you? Like, how do you go and how do you step into that? And more importantly, how do you notice like, oh, there might be a correlation here between past experiences and what's happening within my body right now? Yeah, it's interesting, you know. In that moment of my life, I was in my mid twenties. I didn't. I had no connection with my love. Uh, well, I still love adrenaline, in that I do like fast cars and that kind of excitement. But in my twenties and late teens, there wasn't. I didn't know how to temper it. Like I was, I, and I was very physically accomplished. So I was skiing with all the boys, jumping off of cliffs. I was very well-to-do in my physique and physical, but it caught me going past. Like, I didn't have that internal intuition that sort of says, hey, hey, hey. It's like, it's like in the back of your, your gut saying, slow down, hmm. slow down. And it wasn't really, to be honest, until I started really studying the work of Peter Levine in 2008. So this is like from... 1997 is when these bad injuries were really happening, even like 93 to 97. It wasn't until I was fully in my training in the somatic healing arts that I went, wait a second, is that why I screwed myself over so much when I was in my 20s? 
I didn't make the connection because sometimes you don't make those connections until we asked. What was the connection? Like if you were to name that, what would that be? Because I think often people so often are dissociated that that idea of listening to your gut, like that is so far-fetched. It's not even on the table. You know, so what's the connection that? There was one, I'll give you one connection that, that really was interesting. I was with my first husband. So I've been, I'm with uh, another husband now who I like, and I'm going to keep, but the first one, I still loved him and I, I still love him. And, and, you know, he's a good guy. There was no abuse or anything like that, but our paths were like going like this. Like I, I met him in the, the ski world. We paraglided together, which is a pretty intense sport. And um, I was ski touring um, on a hill or a mountain up in the Whistler area. And it was one of those days where I kind of had this, I'm not so sure we should be here. Something doesn't feel right. And um, it was either me stay at the base camp alone and be really cold all day. Because if you're not moving, you're you're trees or go up the hill and, and ski tour and skin up and all those things and so even though i said to him i don't something doesn't feel right he didn't have that intuitive element at the time he might now but he didn't then and and so i kind of acquiesced and i went and we toured and turned it was super stormy and you couldn't see a thing and we got to the top and something and he's smart he could see something wasn't right and so we couldn't fully ski down the uh the chute we had to go around and when we got to the bottom and we looked and it cleared, there had been, in the time we had skinned up and come down, massive sizes of like refrigerator boulders of snow had fully like avalanched. And I looked at these things, I was like, this isn't good. Um, we just really, we could have died. And so we got out, we skied out, I got home. And what was so spooky that day, Michael, is that that day there were avalanches all over. It wasn't predicted. And someone who he worked with, my husband worked with, did die that same area we were in. So we got back to my house. My dad was there. He looked like he'd seen a ghost because he had heard that a ski patroller had died skiing that day. And he just thought it was us because, you know, we hadn't come home yet. And so the, there was something that switched for me that day. And I remember thinking later that night or the next morning, I'm just really happy to be at home doing my laundry right now. Like I, I will still ski and I will still do these things. So there was a switch at that moment. And that was kind of something that led me to question this intuition. Because this was before I started studying somatic experiencing and, and the other things that have trained me to where I work with people. But there was an internal knowing that kind of woke up. And it was shortly after that that I started to question whether or not this relationship was going to work because I, I have to follow my gut and my intuition. And then as I started to learn science and learn about the autonomic nervous system and something called neuroception, I don't know if you've come across that in your work, um, but the work of Stephen Porges. I was like, wow, humans do have a spidey sense. We do have a sixth sense. We do have a telepathic sense that knows what to do. But when we are stuck in our fight, flight, and freeze responses, specifically in our freeze response, and we're numb, and we're, as you mentioned, dissociated, we don't have access to that intelligence. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so fascinating to me because one of the things that I, I always think about is in my youth, while I did have so much trauma to deal with, I actually developed the sixth sense probably as a survival mechanism, yes. right? To be able to put myself in a position to measure environments, right? Am I safe? Both, Am I protected? Am I, yeah. yeah, exactly. Am I going to be able to be in that position? One of the big things that I noticed with many, many, many adult survivors of childhood trauma is they don't have that because listening to yourself is terrifying because we have this baseline of experience that says, when you try or do this thing and move in that direction, there is a ramification. Right. We understand that whenever we followed our gut, there was a backside to that that was negative. Generally speaking, that comes because you had poor parenting, you were in the wrong environments. It's not that your gut was wrong, it's that you were in the wrong place or unfortunately subjected to the wrong people. So I'm so fascinated by this concept because to me, I go, Oh, I learned this at four years old. I can read a person like that. How do you step into that? And especially with like your scenario. 
how much of that lead up and getting to that place of acknowledging that was, oh, I've been researching and I've been studying this. It was education versus it just naturally started to accumulate. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So your story, and I, I did have a chance to listen to your story before we chatted. So it was great to get into that energy and, and that field. And what you said about if there is if there is a, a person growing up in an environment that is unsafe with their parental structures, their caregivers, you know, even if it's war-torn country where the environment is not safe, the the person, the it's really the nervous system will become hyper vigilant to everything around, and that usually it's the child who will become really good at reading even just the sound of the footsteps being different when whoever comes home, how the car door slams or the screech of the tires, how the keys are, you know, set on the table slowly and gently versus slammed. Like, and what happens is that hypervigilance gets built, um, as you've mentioned. For me, it was kind of a different scenario because I actually had good upbringing parents. They were not abusive. They were not in any way shameful or or any of that, no neglect. And yet what what really landed with me when I was doing my studies was that even if we had that good childhood, and I put that with your quotes, our conditions and our cultural engineering and religion, nothing wrong with faith, but like some of the deeper things that really indoctrinate us into not listening to our bodies. Um, not being able to express anger, sadness, um, being expected to show up in a certain way. I mean, we could we could spend two hours just talking about all those instances of cultural conditioning and societal conditioning. That kind of was embedded in me just from a heavy work ethic growing up. So I was immersed in my parents' business, which I'm grateful for because now I know how to make my own money and all that kind of stuff. But it was a push that was very, very harsh and very hard. Um, and not to blame mom or dad by any means, because they were both people that grew up on a farm. If you've ever known people who've grown up on a farm, like you work hard, no matter how old you are, from the crack of dawn to the, 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 the stars, you know, coming out at night. And so I was just engulfed in that, but also um, kind of soldiered on and never, I was never the kid to say, piss off, I don't want to do this. I never, I never put up a, I don't want to do this. I, I did that in different ways. That was where the sport and the adrenaline got me out of that shutdown, if that makes sense. Right. Um, and so even though, because a lot of people will say, oh, well, I didn't have that kind of trauma. I had something else and yet I'm very numbed out. It doesn't make sense. People get confused. Um, and so when we really start to look at the macro, we realize all of us, have had some version of shutting down, some version of not knowing, not being allowed to express the way, say, an animal in the wild would if they were hurt, you know, be quiet, don't cry, all these sorts of things. So I don't know if that answers your question. Went on a little bit of a tangent there. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's a really valid point because often, you know, there are people who are dissociated that never had like actual physical trauma. Right. Yeah. You grew up indoctrinated in church or indoctrinated in certain communities or certain even sports. Right. I yeah. mean, I, I think about growing up and playing sports and often hearing like dust yourself off, don't cry, oh. whatever that thing is. And, and you as especially as a, a, a man, you learn to turn that off. And that now you see happening in, in women's sports as well. And, you know, what, what I what I'm really curious about, especially, though, is in the understanding that this can come from anywhere. Dissociation does not always have to be this, I have no. to have an experience that I can actually like make it as tangible, um, impact me. How then as an adult, if you're in this place where you're like listening right now, Irene, I'm listening to you and I go, okay, I have no idea what this gut instinct is. What are mm. you talking about? Like, how do you even begin to tap into that? Like, what yeah. is that process? Well, the first thing is the curiosity. So if someone is, sitting here listening or watching and they're like, that's interesting. You know, that's, I'm curious about that. I'm, I'm like, it kind of perks up a little bit of a radar. That's sort of the first thing is just that interest that, huh, question mark. The next thing, as simple as this might sound, and this is what I teach when I work with my students is 
to start listening to the internal impulses in the body that we know are there. And one of the most simplest ones to do is to listen to when you have to go to the bathroom, whether it's having a pee or having a poop, you know, as odd as that is, those are our biological systems are connected to the autonomic nervous system. The autonomic nervous system governs how we produce our urine and our bowel movements and it moves digestion through and all of that. And part of the disconnection and the dissociation is not being able to not only feel our emotions and our gut sense, um, but our actual bio, like our physiology inside. And so often when I say that, um, it's as simple as it sounds, people will say, man, you're right. I do hold it in my bladder way past when I feel the need to pee, for example, and I just know how to hold it. And women are usually a bit better than that because we have more space in that part of our body. But we can, yeah, I worked with someone recently who said, oh yeah, I like my, my assistant would have to schedule in my bathroom breaks because I would just work for six hours straight and I will not go to the bathroom. Yeah. I'm, and, I'm so curious. I, I, I want to interrupt you real quick because yeah, I, I have you, to ask this question. How much of this is tied to the sympathetic nervous system response? Because what, what I'm thinking here is as a child who was a bedwetter and like always mm -hmm. being in danger and recognizing now, like, of course, I was always in the sympathetic nervous system and then heading into my teens where that began to dissipate, unfortunately, yeah. later for me than I think most. But yeah. as it began to dissipate, one of the things I noticed was I was becoming more self-aware just as a whole. What's the if any correlation between the nervous system and that and noticing, right? Coming back just to this idea of noticing and control and like yeah. being present. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like, I mean, there's a whole diatribe of situations here. If we think about um, an infant who's an infant, newborn baby, um, depending on how that infant was treated with their excretory needs, in other words, were they in diapers way too long? Um, were they not changed when they were wet or had a really soiled diaper? When they were changed, was the person changing them, touching them, and talking to them softly with ease and joy? Or was mom or dad or the caregiver or the babysitter making terrible faces because it stunk so bad? And, oh, this is disgusting. How could you be such a dirty little, you know? And, and sadly, that is how a lot of children are talked to, infants are talked to by a caregiver you know, like, oh, this is so stinky. And, and while the child, the infant, I should say, can't cognitively understand that, there is an energetic that's being displayed across that with the touch. And so depending on how our earlier biological needs were met or not met, that does set the tone for that infant being afraid, fearful, tense, disconnecting the moment we go and get changed, those sorts of things. So that's one little drop in the bucket that can influence how we connect to our biology, specifically things like urinating, bowel movements, um, even how we pass gas when we were little. You know, a thing that's happened, has, you see this, a, a child will have a bloated belly and the, the parent will hit them. It's like this thing, oh, look, you got it. We got to burp them. We got to shake them to get it out. And I mean, when, when I have gas in my stomach, if someone were to come up to me and start hitting me and, and shaking me to get it out, I would say, piss off, you know, get off with me. And so there's this oddness, this disconnection with an infant's needs that sets us up. Then if, um, like you mentioned with yourself, there's an unsafe environment. If you are in sympathetic fight flight coupled with that freeze in most of your living waking hours, um, when you go to sleep, you will usually, usually, I'm going to make a generalization here. When we go to sleep in that state, we will go into a very deep shutdown state. So if we think of um, the vagus nerve, the polyvagal theory, we will sleep in a very high tone dorsal state, which is verging on being kind of like a shock state. And so we're actually almost anesthetized to, it's like that person that can sleep through a car wreck. You know, like what? There was a fire that came through the house last night. I didn't hear anything. Or, you know, you know, horses can run through and the person's just out cold. That isn't good because that shows that the the part of the body that needs to assess for danger 
is so shut down, but it's shut down because the danger is there all the time, if that makes sense. So there's this mismatching in when to be alert and when to rest. And so if we think about bedwetting, um, often when there is an urge coming down and the bladder is full, the system should wake you up. It nudges you up. The dreams start to change. You know, you're, you're, you're going into the bathroom. You're feeling your feet by the toilet, whatever it might be. And then something kind of wakes like, hello, Michael. Hello, Irene. You got to go pee. You got to go. But if, you're, if we're so shut down, that little nudge, that, that memo, if we want to call it that, it doesn't get through and we stay asleep. And then that's when we have that event occur. Does that make yeah, sense? And that, and, and, yeah, of course. And it, it's so fascinating to me because as you recognize the things that the parasympathetic nervous system impacts while also combating the sympathetic nervous system and, and trying to get to this place of rest and digest and recovery and health and healing and growth and all these things, most people don't recognize that they are probably still being impacted by yeah. the sympathetic nervous system. And one of the reasons why they can't focus and they can't pay attention, they can't complete tasks and they can't do the things that they say they're going to do is so much tied into the fact that they have unresolved issues, whether they may not be exactly trauma, but there are things that you need to work through that has your sympathetic system activated. Mm -hmm. So how do you begin to kind of merge, I guess is the word that I want to use here into the parasympathetic lane, because I guess it's two parts. On one hand, I recognize that there are people who have no idea what the we're talking about. And the idea of stepping into the parasympathetic nervous system is so far-fetched to them that they, will, they can't recognize it, right? So the first part is, can you break down those systems for us a little bit more in depth? Sure. And the other part of it is, if you are a person who is listening and disassociated, not sure where to begin to step into who you are and your systems and your body and recognizing and all of these things, where do you start there? Um, so... Let's do like, I'll do a tiered science lesson of the nervous systems because that will explain parasympathetic because parasympathetic often gets thought of as just rest, digest. So our autonomic nervous system is basically um, the governor, the governing of the fight, flight, and freeze. So fight, flight is that sympathetic, that like, I want to fight you or I want to flee because this isn't safe. And then the freeze is a portion of the parasympathetic, a portion of the autonomic that numbs us out. When we, we sense we can't fight and we can't flee, we will go into a freeze state. Kiddos, infants, children, people in abusive relationship situations, even if it's like a surgical trauma where we're trying to fight but we're being held down, our system will go into this freeze response. Now, if we go back up to the whole autonomic nervous system, we've got the sympathetic fight, flight, parasympathetic. I like to call the parasympathetic and how I've been taught the slowing down nervous system. And there's two types of slowing down. One is that shock, freeze, numb out, disconnect, go into kind of death prep mode. It's like the blood pressure is going down, the heart rate goes down, the oxygen exchange goes down. I'm getting ready to die, basically, is what that is. That's what we would go into if we were to say, shock. Like, I often use the example, if I was to um, break my leg and my big artery in my leg is spurting out blood, I want my system to go into that freeze, shock, to preserve blood, lower blood pressure. So that's one part of the parasympathetic. The other part of the parasympathetic is what's called the, um, the ventral vagal ventral vagal and the ventral it just basically means front of the vagus nerve i'm being very kind of basic here but the vagus nerve is also the shutdown but another portion of the vagus nerve is the social engagement so remember when we got on the talk a little while ago i said oh having a bit of a conversation it peps me up a little bit i'm a little tired i'm way more awake now because we're engaging i'm using my higher brain there's a little bit of sympathetic going on so i'm having to use my hands and all that, but the ventral vagal aspect of the parasympathetic, that is something that when we are born, it isn't fully working, right? It's why an infant can't talk yet. It can't, it can't communicate with us. Um, so that I'm going to park that for a second. And then we have something called the dorsal 
vagal branch. That is part of the, the freeze, but there's one part of the dorsal vagus nerve, which comes out of our brain, part of our process is all parasympathetic. It slows us down in two fashions. So I've kind of jumped a bit. One part of the dorsal is that shutdown freeze. We call it high tone dorsal. It's very quick. It puts us into shock, danger, danger, danger. The other part of the dorsal is called low tone dorsal. Low tone dorsal, that's the rest digest. Often when you hear people talk about the parasympathetic, they say that's the rest digest. It's actually accurately the low tone dorsal of that do low tone dorsal of that vagus. Does that are you following me there? Got these branches. So when we have had a lot of stress, chronic stress, trauma, injuries, we've been shut down, we haven't been able to express, typically the human system is living in a mix of high-tone dorsal shutdown-y energy, that, that nummy, freeze-dissociated, along with the sympathetic fight-flight. But the interesting thing with that is you can have them both on at the same time. So what'll happen, and this is what often gets missed, is someone will be living numbed out and not feeling very much. And under that is a whole bunch of sympathetic, adrenalized fight flight energy that is being trapped. It's literally being depressed. This is what we know of as depression, chronic illness. This is where the ACE study comes in that you mentioned at the beginning, right? The ACE study and its findings, that is it. Like those kids that are grown up in adversity, there is this sympathetic um, gas on with this high dorsal tone break on. So paint that picture. Go back to the other one. Ventral vagal is social engagement. So a common thing that people will say when they have had lots of trauma and adversity, they are terrified with connecting with people. It's social anxiety. I don't want to go out. Um, I blot, a person will blush. You know, they might even faint if they feel too intense uh, interacting with someone. So if we have been brought up in a lot of that high tone dorsal and sympathetic, our ventral ability to engage and be empathetic and calm down is going to be less on. Our wires aren't going to be strong in that domain yet. The good thing is with neuroplasticity, we can build that back up, as you know. And so the ventral is a very important part to bring into play when we start to heal this. The other part is that low tone dorsal, the rest digest. This is why we know when someone is recovering from trauma, we need to, we need to eat well. We need to rest. We need to slow things down. We need lots of time for self-care and nurture because we have been trapped in that high tone dorsal sympathetic for so long and so what often happens michael is especially people who are overachievers and are just going like they know they have a trauma history and oh i've kicked that i'm fine i'm fine i can do locks like high achievers will see this if you ask them to slow down and like take a bath or read a book or go on a vacation they'll go stir crazy because their system is wired to be a fight flight, which can be seen as workaholism, extra, like excessive exercise, shopping, sex, whatever it is. But then they have a, a shutdown um, situation where their system also knows how to totally dissociate, disconnect, and numb out, that kind of thing. So when we start to heal this, this system that has been in that situation of, of high stress, we need to start bringing back the ventral, that social engagement portion, along with the low tone rest digest, but in a way that is, um, do you know the word titrated? Have you come across that word? Yeah. So, so uh, here's a really interesting question then yeah. as a follow-up to this. Yeah. And, and I, I feel you kind of pressing into that. Mm -hmm. How do you get to that place? To day, play day, day one, moment one, you're, you're starting to move into titration mm -hmm. and having this relationship with self and understanding yeah. and healing and this thing yeah. like day one lesson one 101 where do you start here the first thing that always always is the starting block is education and the reason why 
is because one of the first exercises that I would teach is something called orienting. So learning how to spark back up the social engagement nervous system by actively looking and seeing the environment around us in an exploratory way. Um, and as simple as it sounds, our orienting response, we need it for danger, but we also need it for pleasure and seeing beautiful things in the world. But if we were brought up with a lot of stress and torment and an environment that was unsafe, our orienting response is going to be hypervigilant. This is what ADHD would be, this like looking quickly, quickly, quickly for the next thing that's going to come in and hurt us, scream at us, tell us whatever it might be, et cetera. Um, so orienting is an interesting one. So let's just say a person's done some base level education, which is important. Um, and the reason why is because we will put someone into an orienting exercise. It is very basic. It's like 10 minutes looking, seeing, feeling the neck move, feeling the eyes move. Very basic. One of two things happens with someone who has been brought up with early trauma. One, it might feel beautiful. And, and I've done this enough with thousands of people. They'll be like, oh my God, you mean I can actually look and see the wall and look out at the trees and slowly move my head and people will start to do this exploratory orienting and their whole system starts to just come down. And it feels great. The breath comes back in and they realize, wow, I have not actually ever looked at the plant that's sitting next to me. I've never actually looked at the, 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 the clouds outside. And everything starts to calm down because the ventral, remember how I said that ventral vagal aspect of the parasympathetic, it governs the neck, the head, the face, the eyes, um, all these things. So let's just call that person A. Person B, who's had, let's just say, maybe the exact same history. You put them into the orienting, uh, I'll call it exercise, it's an exploration. And the moment they even hear my words that says, what would it be like to just let your eyes see? Again, depending on their history, but they will often have this instant panic, this instant, what? No, I can't look out there because that's, that's dangerous, right? That's unsafe. So if someone goes into that um, expression, which is very common, you have to then work with that beginning instruction of what would it be like to imagine looking out? Don't do it, but just feel it. And then you feel that edge. And so we'll go down that path. Let's just say someone has that expression of, I can't, I feel more anxiety, more panic. I want to shut down or I want to scream. I want to run. Um, then you have to say, okay, it's kind of like that. Remember those books, Shooting on Adventure? I don't know if you're old enough mm -hmm. to read these books. Oh, I am. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> um, you know, you, this is where, um, for everyone listening, this work isn't like a 12-step process because you have to kind of learn the ABCs and the one, two, threes separately, but then you bring them together. So let's just say a person is terrified to look there, but they realize it's actually fake to look down and see the floor. Okay. So then I would say, well, then do that. Feel what it's like to look at the floor and see I've got a red carpet down here. Look at the color red, for example. Um, or, oh my goodness, it's, it's actually, I feel safe looking at my hands. Great. Then look at your hands, feel your hands, touch your hands, see them. And that starts to spark up the curiosity. As soon as we can start to spark up even just a smidgen of curiosity, we're taking a person out of the trauma response. And as tiny as that is, it's these little drops of curiosity and healing that wonder that over time builds up. So someone, I'm going to give you another example. Let's just say someone is like, I can't look over there. I don't know why, but it, it feels like terror. And so we might actually explore, um, well, what is over there, right? Like, what is over there? And um, one of the most uh, telling stories I ever had was from a teacher of mine who was working with a woman who's her, she had all these neck problems. 
right? Really stiff neck, which is very common when we've had a lot of trauma and stress, whether it's concussions or whatever. But she couldn't look to that side. And I, I don't remember what side it was. It's not important. But slowly, um, my teacher and her, they started to open up the possibility of looking to that side with safety and slowness and not pushing her, like not, so we'll just look and see what you see, waiting for the system to be safe enough to look. And as she started to look and as she started to go and see, even though it was just blank space, the memory came back of when she was a child sitting at the kitchen table, table and that was the side where she saw her baby brother being beaten every day by a parent. And so she stopped looking to that side because it was too terrifying and she didn't want to see it. And so I say that to show or to propose the, the, the uh, concept that trauma is not just in the brain and in the mind, but it's in the somatic system. It's in our movement patterns. And when we realize with something as basic as learning how to orient in all the quadrants, like 360 degree sphere, we can actually start to unpack places and spaces that we froze and shut down and where the stress is trapped yeah, um, that's, and it, it's, you know it's so phenomenal to me that as you as you sit and, and say this i recite in my own mind these experiences that i've had and, mm -hmm. and you know what I, I hearken to this idea that this process is certainly not 12 step there's yeah. there's indeed nothing linear about it right no. and, and and i measure these really amazing breakthrough moments that I've had in my own journey and even with my clients. And so much of it is about getting that place of presence and yeah. noticing, right? Yeah. Noticing. And, and I love that you mentioned as education being kind of the jump off point. And I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And yes. one of the things I think people have to recognize is this process of education. It doesn't necessarily have to be you know, through a PhD or a master's, it's oh. the internet, it's, it's conversations like this. It's about the willingness to step in. Here's one of the things that I'm so curious about. And I, part of me wants to challenge you on it because I feel like even in that place of just stepping into observance, there is this huge hesitancy for so many people. What, what is, what do you think is the threshold that gets people from call it pre-contemplation and contemplation and action, especially around noticing and becoming present, because I have found within not only myself, but my work is that that tends to be that biggest gap, right? There's been education, there's been contemplation, but there is this window right here between, okay, I'm thinking about doing this and I'm actually going to do it and explore the fear or the possibility or whatever we want to name it on the other side. How do you gap that? How do you put people in a position to be able to step into that? They have to want it. They have to want it and not, and by that, I don't mean that it won't be scary and they're not going to feel some really intense stuff, but I'll speak from my own experience with, with hearing the stories through my private practice and programs. There'll be this, this point in time where someone, and it doesn't matter how old they are, it could be an 80 year old, 50 year old, 20 year old. Even I've worked with some teenagers who they know something's not right. And it, it's kind of like if their soul knows there's still something more. Like I've tried all these things. I've tried all these therapies, all these practices, and I'm still afraid to socialize. I'm still getting gut problems. Um, I still have panic when I drive my car. All the things that will tell us that there's stored survival stress, stored trauma in the body. There's almost just this desire to figure it out. And it's like this indefinite, I want to figure this out. Not everyone is going to cross over that chasm, as you said. Um, and some people won't dive into the, the, the pool and sign up for feeling all the survival stressors that they've stored in their bodies to even past generations, right? Because we also have to understand that this, trauma stuff that we're working with isn't just ours it's ancestry it's our parents it could even be past life trauma which is something that i've worked with a lot with people in myself and so it's kind of like the the contemplation pre-contemplation and the practice are always kind of swirling a little bit so whenever i'm talking and teaching to people I'm trying to engage my body and my somatic system with them, even though I'm not directing them in a practice. 
So as I talk, I'm connected to my butt on this chair. I can feel the coolness in my hands. I can sense that it's dark in my room. I can see you moving in your chair a tiny bit left and right. Right. So the intention of the teacher and the presence and the skill of the teacher will inevitably ooze. I love that word. It's like it's oozing out that that it's like a it's like this um it's like a a, a a saying or a word or a sentence. It's like it's okay. It's gonna we can do this. Like this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to heal at this level because if we don't, we know what occurs. I mean, the A study says it all. So I think not everyone is going to want to go to that level. Um, And I kind of give people the benefit of the doubt. And I'm just like, well, I think most people do at the the core. They want to. Um, What often stops people is their psyche, interestingly. I, I was literally about to say this morning, I, you know, I try to blog every, I try to write every day. I try to blog yeah. every day, put something out into the world of meaning. And this morning I was just writing about the, the power that words hold over us mm-hmm. and the way that we self-define and thinking about for so long in this journey of mine, especially in the beginning, when I got serious about it, you know, I, I had parameters and I said, this is, this is what it might mean. This is what it might look like the hill to step into this journey while understanding I had no idea, but the, the innate desire within me lay within this idea that somewhere deep inside of me in my soul, I was like, because it, it was like, Good. there has to be something more. Right. And that, that's the thing that I often encourage Good. people to, to be willing to explore the idea of the potential that on the backside of your action, you could actually get the thing that you want. And that's terrifying. Right. And, and, yes. and for most people and, and I challenge folks to step into that because I think that, you know, I, I almost parlay education with mindset as step yeah. one, because I think you can't have one without the other and vice versa. 100%. Um, I, I could talk to you all day. Like this is like, I feel like we're not even getting into this yet. Uh, I want to ask one, I'm going to ask you two more questions. My first I, question is, yeah. go ahead. No, hold those thoughts. Cause you said something really important when you were just mentioning um, that kind of that I want to go forward and get it. That that piece is healthy aggression. So the need for this healthy life force energy, if a person still has it and they know it's hidden somewhere in the depths of their cells, but they can feel it, it's that element that pushes people even when they're in pain and despair. So that's actually a really important point because depending on a person's circumstance, even when it's like, the worst possible circumstance ever, we still have that healthy life force energy in us. We just have to get enough energy going so that a little like spark can pop out of the concrete, if that makes sense. So, so let me challenge you on that then, because that was actually leading into this question. Okay. Part of me, and, and I have not done the research, and I think it would be a really intensive, long study to find out the answer to this question. Yeah. But the, the question I'm seeking is, at what point do we create the systems that mitigate the risk of what I will call rock bottom before change takes place? Because here's, here's what I hear in the words that you're sharing right now is like, yes, you have to build this up. You have to fuel it. There has to be these parts of you that wants it. But to be honest with you, and I've interviewed so many people and so many clients and myself included, that moment of change to mitigate the risk of it being implemented via rock bottom doesn't seem to exist so what are your thoughts just as a general like what are your thoughts how do you create change before rock bottom how do you mitigate the risk of my life is a disaster or something has to happen i wish there was a clear-cut answer it seems like everyone is a little different you know i've worked with people who have their rock bottom had has been you're gonna die in a month like terminal illness kind of stuff um, for some, it, it's just, I don't feel good. You know, like there's this sense, something's not right. I'm always getting headaches, for example. Um, that's not what I had, but it might be, I can't talk to this partner that I'm with. And for whatever reason, I can't get under this situation. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. I, I would be great. It would be great if it didn't have to go to that rock bottom. I would I like to think macro and I think 
one of the things that might help facilitate that in the future as we grow and understand more about this, because let's face it, our parents weren't doing this when they were our age. They weren't talking about trauma and helping teach the world about these things. It just wasn't happening. It wasn't even happening 20 years ago, 10 years ago. So my sense, Michael, is that as time rolls forward, there's just going to be more of a, a, a universal field, if you will. It's very quantum physics. Like this field is going to start to say to people, you have permission to start taking care of yourself even before you are sick. Because in our culture, our systems are basically created around the sick model of health. It's all about what can we do to avoid death, right? What can we do to avoid this? Or when we do get sick, okay, what can we do to get rid of the sickness in the fastest way possible? And it's scary when someone comes up with a chronic illness, a terminal illness, and they want it gone quickly. And to say, you know, what would it be like to just really take care of yourself? Like, there's no script for that, right? So I think the the field is growing. And when I mean that, it's like the energetics field. More people who are young, I've been meeting more people who are young, maybe you would say this too, who are not wanting to live the way our parents lived, the way even maybe we lived in our 30s and 20s, where we were pushing, pushing, pushing and ignoring our bodies. I think just we've been talking about prevention and self-care for so long like 80s, 90s, like the whole health, you know, world. But I think what's happening because the research, the science and the practice are all kind of colliding right now into a really good space. Um, there's something I think happening where we might not need to always hit rock bottom. I think there will always be exceptions. But my sense, my gut sense, and maybe this is my, my optimism playing out, is that with more of these conversations and more of this information just being thrown out there, people are going to feel it. I don't know if that, yeah. Does that, that right. answer your question? I mean, you talk about coming full circle, finishing out with the gut. <laughs> I, I agree 100%. I, I, I think that's the direction that we're heading. Um, before I ask you my last question here, Irene, yeah. and thank you so much for being a part of this You're today. Um, where can everybody find you? Just my, my name, my site, it's Irene Lyon, L-Y-O-N.com. Um, you go there and you can get lost for many days with many, many videos and resources and courses and programs. And my bio is there. You can learn more about me and the people who work with me. So that is the best way. Beautiful. Yeah. Irene, my last question for you today is, what does it mean to you to be unbroken? Oh, boy. Okay. It's more than a sentence. So what I've been really tuning into recently is that we're, we're either healing or we're not. So this does not mean perfection or imperfection, but are we in our moment, in our lives, doing even just the tiniest little thing to further our goodness to further our aliveness to fur even if it's just like i'm gonna drink more water today you know i'm gonna breathe fresh air today but in a conscious way those little things from my experience when they are done repeatedly you know a lot of people are like i've got to do this big healing cleanse i have to blow it out of the park with fireworks and go to these intensive meditation retreats and all that to really get unbroken or heal. And I think those are fine and good. And we need those, those intense things sometimes. But as I age, as I see more and more people in this world, it's the little things, it's the little tiny elements. So to, to really realize what would it be like to just be in your system with this question of, let's do something that's healing, that's towards health all the time without it having to be perfect, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's beautiful. Irene, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. I, I love this conversation. I could literally talk to you for like three or four hours today. I know. No problem. We're, we'll we're just now getting in there. We'll <laughs> absolutely have you back on again. Unbroken Nation, thank you so much for spending some time with me and with Irene. If you found anything of value today, please like, subscribe, share, tell a friend, leave a comment. 
And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see ya. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken. Please share this episode with someone who could use it and help us move forward in our mission of ending generational trauma in our lifetime. And if you would, please take five seconds to pop on iTunes or Spotify, hit that five star, leave a review. And you can also reach out to us on social at Michael Unbroken or at Think Unbroken. And of course, you can check out our YouTube channel at Think Unbroken. Thank you for being a part of Unbroken Nation, my friends. And until next time, be unbroken. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.